0: Come before your throne, Father, this morning with open hearts, Father. Father, I just pray that our hearts are open to be receptive to your word this morning, Father. We thank you for what you've done for us today, Father, what you've done for us this morning, Father, what you've done for us for tomorrow, what you've done for us in the past, Father, that we would rejoice in that and we would be glad and and rejoice in it, Father, abundantly, Father. In your name we pray, amen. So this morning, as we have actually been working through the book of Romans, and last week I was, there was one verse in particular that kind of struck out, stuck out, not struck out, stuck out to me. Uh, Speaking of striking out, that is a baseball term, maybe that's why I thought of that, God said talk about baseball first, but... You know, last time I I taught, the men were on retreat, and I thought I could go as, for as long as I wanted to. And Andy told me that he missed his reservation for lunch, and so he said be shorter this time, because he's got a baseball game, he's a Giants fan, and they play the Dodgers. So I will, I will stay extra long this time just because of Andy, who is a Giants fan. I don't know how that happened in my family, but it did. So... I don't know why I said that, but I just felt I needed to say that. Forgive him. So as we were, as we were reading last week in Romans and chapter 13, verse 11 spoke to me and said, said to me that there was one particular phrase in, in that verse. Let, let's read Romans 13, 11. If you guys remember, Pastor Robert was talking about debt and if there were to be a debt, The debt of love is something that we should continue to be paying back, that love, that loving. And as he goes through the verses 8 8 through 10, as you see, he's talking about the, the commandment. The Ten Commandments about thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. He's talking about the law. And as he's talking about the law, in verse 11, this is where it stands out to me. He says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you. To wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than, w- we've, than when we first believed. And isn't that true? You know, wake up. That's, those were the two words that stuck out to me is wake up. Wake up. You know, it is so closer than we could ever think. And that, that applies to us even today. This wasn't written last week. This was, this was written way back when. And the same is true to us today. Wake up because the day wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You know? And so as I as I looked at that and I, I thought of that, wake up. What am I waking up from? What is it? What are we talking about? And as I said earlier, they're they're talking about about the law. You're talking about the Ten Commandments and Law. And so I was thinking, you know, through the book of Romans and actually, through several epistles, Colossians, Galatians, and Romans, there is this, Paul devotes a lot to the subject of law and grace. You know, there's law and there's grace. But when do law and grace, how do they intersect? How do they fit into each other? As we're looking, as we're studying the book of Romans, how does that work out? How does do all of these, these things intersect? You know, and I just thought of, you know, the law, It still affects us today. You know, we we live in a society that is very litigious. We think that we can get ahead by trying to take the law sometimes into our own hands. Sometimes we think that we can make millions of dollars or we could do something to somebody else because, you know, it's the law. The law says this. The law says that. You know, I'm, I'm an administrator at a school, a Christian school, key word to point out, at a Christian school, and, you know, as a school, you've got to have rules. You've got to have the law. You do this, you'll get in trouble. If you do that, you know, you get a timeout. If you don't do this, you get that, you know. But w- we live in a society that's filled with legals, legalism, but we're called to be gracious. You know, and how, how does that intersect? How do you intersect graciousness when the law, when somebody does something wrong, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to react? How do you deal with this? Where – the intersection, So, you know, when, when I have I find it very exciting that we have a lot of graciousness in our campus in our school. You know, you would think traditionally that a classroom needs to be with a chalkboard. Well, I guess not anymore. We have smart boards now. Chalkboard is my day, but we have smart boards and we have all these boards inside a classroom. But you know what some of the best times that I see is I'm walking around campus and there'll be a class that's outside. That's totally untraditional, totally breaking the law of schoolism, if that's a word. Breaking the law of school. You know, school is supposed to be in a room, sitting down, being bored to death, and and hopefully you learn. Hopefully you have a great teacher, and sometimes great teachers teach, and some just bore you to death. My subject was math. I did not like that one. They still can't teach me. But, you know, I see these kids in math and these different subjects sitting under a tree, Outside, you know, and as as a person I'm walking around going, what's going on? And it's so neat. Sometimes I can sit there and join them and be part of their learning experience when you're going, that's not traditional. That's not the way things work here. That's not what we've been taught. But sometimes we've noticed in, in our school that sometimes the best learning experiences aren't even in the classroom. And so, you know, how do these things affect each other? When is it to be gracious? When? Is there a time to be gracious? Does that mean that we shouldn't have law? No, of course not. But how do we have law, and how do they intersect? Intersect. So what do we mean law and grace, or law versus grace? It really should be law and grace, not really law versus grace, because law and grace, they kind of work together at times, and they intersect each other. So in order to understand this, we need to understand law, and we need to understand grace. And law, if not getting into too deep of theology, I want to examine a little bit of what some may call a dispensation or a time frame or a time period of law and grace. Okay, A dispensation is just a fancy word of saying a period of time in which way God may have dealt with people or way God may have tested tested man along certain lines. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20 verse 19. And this is right after the The Ten Commandments were given and the commandments were given. And and this is what Moses says. He says, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be be with you to keep you from sinning. And so there's times where the law was put into place to, to help us, to help us to keep us from sinning and how we dealt with it during that time frame. Today we just want to look at two of the, the dispensations. If you look through history, theologians, people will, you'll hear of people talking about dispensations. They put things into a time frame or a timeline, and how things, how God has dealt with people throughout time. There's multiple, multiple of them. People vary on how many there are. But today I just want to look at two: just law and grace, and how they intersect and how they affect each other. So. What is the law and why does it exist? Let's look at Exodus chapter 19, same thing in Exodus, but moving back to the beginning part of the chapter in verse 3. 19 verse 3, 3 through 5. It says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountains and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. So he's telling them, everything is mine, but you are going to be my treasured possessions if you keep my covenant. What covenant is he talking about? Later on, he goes on and he goes up the mountain and he comes back down and he comes down with all these commandments. You know, we were, we, in Romans, earlier last week, we were talking about those commandments right before he tells us to wake up. He says, wake up. But here, the commandments in chapter 19 are being brought to life. They're being brought out. The ten, he goes up to the mountain, he comes down, and he has those ten commandments. But, When it comes to the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Covenant, um, I should say, consists of more than just these ten regulations, these ten laws, these ten rules. You know, there's hundreds, 600 plus, 613 some people say which ten of these laws, ten of these are incorporated into there. And in there, they're broken up into like three major categories, one being civil, one being ceremonial, and one being moral different laws, different regulations that they needed to follow. But the challenge was if they broke any of these laws, what was the penalty? The penalty was death. The penalty was death. And so, so in looking at that, God did make pr- provisions for them to overcome that, t- to overcome that part of the law when they did it. So uh, right now I want to take a look at what the purpose of the law was. What was the purpose of the law? Why did the law come into being, and why does it exist? Let's turn to Romans 5.13. Romans 5.13. And it says, the law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wait, that's verse 20. I am in the wrong one. Verse 13, I'm sorry, it is 13 still. It says, "It says for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. So what is that telling us? It's saying that because if there is no law in place, then how do they know if they're doing right or wrong? They don't know if they're sinning or not sinning. So the law was introduced to help us to define what sin is. What, how are we supposed to live? What is the right way? What is the wrong way? You know, and of those, the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Ten Commandments, we use those as a guideline to help define what is right and what is wrong. In Ezra 10, verse 1 through 4, in Ezra 10, let's turn there. Ezra 10, 1 through 4, and then we're going to drop down and read read verses 10 through 11. It says, while Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. Then Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. Now, let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Rise up. This matter is in your hands. We will support you. So take courage and do it. So he tells, he gives, they give him a charge. They give Ezra a charge. To go out and do it. And in verse 10, we see what that charge was, what the outcome of that charge was. And then he says, Then Ezra, the priest, stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful. You have married foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Now make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people around you and from your foreign wives. And so, you know, what was another purpose of the law was to separate God's people from evil. God we needed to know what was right and wrong, but we also needed to know that when we did, we needed to separate ourselves so that we can live the way that God called us to live accordingly, accordingly. And so part of the law was to help separate us from God's from people of evil. And then in Galatians three, twenty-three through twenty-four. Another reason why the purpose was the purpose of the law, Galatians 3, 23 through 24. Oh, I'm going to get there. Corinthians is too long. I forgot there was two books. In Galatians 3, verse 23 through 24, it says, oh, I'm, in, I'm already in Ephesians. Man. Galatians Galatians three twenty three through 24, it says, before this faith came, we were held prisoners of the law. Locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So the purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ as well. As we look at the law, that's exactly what it does. It leads us. It leads us to Christ. However, throughout time, throughout this, this period of time, or dispensation as some may call it, there was a breakdown in the law. You know, it was not the law itself that was a breakdown, but of its leaders, of the religious leaders of the time. The religious leaders took the law into their own hands. Let's look at Mark 7. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 7 and 7 through 9. And Actually, I'm going to start in verse 6, but we're going to focus on 7 through 9. It says, And he replied, Isaiah was right, when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. So he's calling them hypocrites. And then we read, read here in the text in 7 through 9, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but of rules taught by men.
1: You have let go of
0: the commands of God, and you are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God. And so they took these things into their own hands, and they were doing, making up more rules and more regulations and stuff than what God actually had done for them, and they're leading people astray. And, and Luke addresses this as well. In Luke chapter 11, Luke 11, verse 37, I don't know if I would want to be one of these leaders of the law trying to go up against Jesus, but he says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table, but the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not wash before the meal, was surprised. Now I know why my kids don't wash their hands before they eat. They're just following Jesus' example. No, I'm just kidding. We need to wash our hands before we eat, especially when you work in a school. You definitely need to wash your hands. And so they're surprised that he's not following something that they're supposed to be doing. One of their rules and one of the regulations. Let's drop down to verse 45 and we'll go to 53. And then one of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. I don't know if that's what you want to be saying to to Jesus. You're sitting there uh, wrong, wrong response. So what does Jesus do? Jesus replies. He says, and you experts in the law, woe to you, Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. Woe to you. Because you build tombs for the prophets. And it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify. You approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets. And you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of them whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all prophets, will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, This generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. And when Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to beseech him with questions waiting to catch him in something that he might say. And so They take the law and they take it. They basically hijack it. They take it into their own hands. And Jesus Himself tells them that they're responsible for all this mess, for all these things about the law by by making all these different rules and different regulations than what was intended to be. So there was a there was a breakdown. So the question is, if if the purpose of the law is to define sin, separate us from evil and lead us to Christ. Does the does following the law make us righteous? So let's look let's take a look at an example of a person back in Romans chapter 4. Let's take a look at, a, at an example of a person who was under the law. And that's in Romans chapter 4 verses Thirteen through twenty-five. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be there, be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value. And the promise is worthless. Because the law, law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be by, by, it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is the father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. And God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not not as though they were. And if we, if we look look back, to, look back at the verse, he says, He is the father in the sight of God to whom he believed. There was belief behind Behind that faith, he believed um, in life. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him Were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. What an example. You know, he lived under the law, but yet following the law isn't what counted him as righteous, it was his belief. And his unwavering um, desire, his unwavering faith to do what God told him. God made him a promise, you know. He's old, you know. I didn't think we were going to have a third child, but we did. You know, I was like, oh, I think we're done. And all of a sudden, we had one. I'm like, wow. I guess it's true, Abraham. I'm, I'm old. And I I still, somehow, you wanted us to have a third one. And you know what? I'm, I'm so blessed. I I. Erica, those of you who know Erica, she's a character. I I I don't know what life would be like around the house without her. She she's a character and a peacemaker all at the same time. So so you know the belief he had that belief that that uh, and faith that was unwavering and that's what counted him to be righteous. Um, so let. Uh, jumping back to uh, chapter four, still going back to the first first verses one through three. Let's take a look at what it says there about Abraham. It says, "What then shall we say that Abraham, our Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God." And it was credited to him as righteousness. So, our belief, his belief in in what God had told him, is the reason why why he's credited. Um, let's take a look at Israel. What is how how does Israel react react to something? So, turn over back to, to backwards now to Romans chapter nine, in verse thirty, and let's see how, how how they react to react to. Uh, to the law in, in, their, in their unbelief. And he says in verse 30, what, what then shall we say, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone." They thought that they they were doing what was right, but in reality they weren 't doing what God had called them to do, just because the law was in place and was there. They were stumbling over it, they pursued it as as if though if they followed everything, okay i 'm in, I got it, I do this but that 's not what it was that 's not what it was it wasn 't the act of works following the law. it was much more than that as we saw Abraham believing and trusting in the law, trusting. That uh, what God had said would happen, did happen, and so we see that that even though the law was in place, they didn't obtain it. Be, the, uh, Israel didn't obtain it because they didn't they didn't follow it through faith. They followed it through works. So let's turn turn back to Romans. I know, yeah, Romans chapter one. And you know, we're going to look at verses 14 through 17. And a new sort of faith is, is now being introduced to them. This is where they intersect, where, the, where law and grace begin to start intersecting. And Paul, he tells us he's obligated. He says, he says in, in verse 14, he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you, who are in Rome. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is, it has power, has the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He says the righteous will live by faith. Paul wasn't ashamed. He, he felt obligated to talk about this. What, what is he talking about? Turn, turn with me um, over to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. So later on, later on, Paul is kind of explaining what what is he teaching he says for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles then he tells him surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you so he's telling them you I'm sure you've heard about it I know I know uh, at some point we've been talking about it um, how they intersect law and grace and he says surely you've heard about it and he says, that is the mystery made known, known to me by revelation, as I have already written, written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it, now, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, Spirit to God's holy apostle and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's peop- least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ Through faith, faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings. You know, earlier when, when Izzy was speaking, when Izzy was talking, we don't have anything to be afraid of. Nothing. It, you know, I, I've told some of the junior high parents before is that, you know, I don't know what songs are going to be sung. Um, all the time um, when we're preparing a lesson for junior high. And we come in here, and it's like, wow, everything that we just sung, all four songs, three out of the four songs, are applicable to what we're teaching this morning in in junior high. And and it just amazes me how God works that way, how God knows our hearts, our intent, and how he meshes our our worship with our, our, our teaching time to um, compliment each other and, and to show his grace and his power it's just it 's amazing, even some of the songs, even some of those new songs that we sang t- that sang this morning, some of those lyrics, and i can 't remember them, I was going to try to write them down, but i didn 't have a pen. I was like, man, those are so appropriate to what we 're talking about this morning you know we're, we don 't have to be afraid we're, there's nothing to be afraid of. Um, in that chorus of that new song, I forgot the exact words, but I, I, it just was like, wow! It just blew me away how how God reveals Himself through through different vehicles, through different means. Just just the the vehicle of worship how it relates and correlates with Scripture, and we don't we don't have to be afraid. We have that authority, that freedom, and confidence to talk to God and to not be afraid to live. The way he's called us to live, to, ha- to have those, um, you know, as Pastor John talked to to live life abundantly. You know, sometimes I think we, we forget about that. We, we just kind of put it on the back burner and truly understanding what God has given to us through this grace that he's provided for us. Um, and so, so um, and, and then, so he's teaching this new concept of grace versus law. That grace, what w- grace. But first, let's turn, let's turn back to Romans 6.14. In Romans 6.14, he comes back, and, and here's the, the another intersection of this law and grace. He says, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. So he's telling them, you know, there's the law, there's the law, but you're not under the law. I was, re- this mystery was revealed to me. I am coming to teach you, not just, not just uh, Israel, not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to everybody. This is a new thing. What, what is, what is this, um, this thing called grace? You know, what, what is grace? Let, let, let's take a look at grace for a second here for a little bit. It says, you know, I tell, I tell our kids, and. What, what is grace? You know, people think, oh, it's, singing, it's, it's saying something before we eat. What's, what is grace? What, what really is grace? You know, grace is just God's unmerited favor. It's totally unmerited. It's something that we, we don't deserve, you know. Another, another thing um, that, that growing up I heard all the time what grace was, was something that we get but we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it at all. It actually, the, the Bible actually tells us the wages of sin is what, death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We don't deserve it. We don't. We don't have any right to it. But yet, God's grace, His unmerited favor, gives us that. And I sometimes I, you know, I have to remind myself: is that, man, do I really understand that? Do I really, really? fully grasp what he's done, what he's given to me. Every morning, every day, we are given it over and over again, this unmerited favor that we don't deserve. It says that we deserve death. That's what we get. The wages of sin is death. We all know that there was no one in this room, no one outside the room, that hasn't sinned. We've all sinned. It says, for we have all sinned. And fallen short, we all have, so therefore, if we all have, we all are condemned, we are all deserving of death, but yet God in his graciousness is, has um, made a propitiation for that has changed that 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 route wh- where the law there was a way to for redemption, but he came and he paid that ultimate price for that redemption so that we don't have to do that and sometimes I wonder to myself is is that why we forget because we don't have to follow follow something or do something? Is it just like I don't know um, at times we just kind of get complacent and we just kind of think, well it's whatever it's, you know, I I get it anyway, whether I do this or do that God's going to give it to me anyways no we, we shouldn't be thinking that way, you know, or we we study again in, in Romans every morning mindset that mind thought every day we need to have. Time, a time, a special time with God, every, whether it's morning, afternoon, but at some point in in a daily basis, he's wanting that relationship with us. He's wanting, he, he longs for it, for us to have that relationship because he's given us that unmerited favor. You know, we, like last week, that, that debt of love, should, we should be living that every second of our life, every minute, not just when. Certain things come up, whe- whether it's good or bad, but all the time. And sometimes it's hard for us to do that. It's just, it gets, gets you know, real difficult and real tedious. But I just wanted to, to point out that God has always been gracious. God is, there has always been grace. God has always been, as we sang, sang earlier Of um, the course, you know, he, he was, he is forever. God's been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just because the means have been different during different times. It doesn't mean God hasn't changed. God is still the same, and he'll continue to be the same. And so we, we want to look at Joel chapter 2, verse 13. Let's take a look and, and know that, that God. It's one of those bi- books that you can never find after Hosea and Joel chapter two, verse verse 13. It says, "Rend your heart and not your garment, garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending his calamity. So God has always been gracious. Again, let's look, look at Psalms 116. Psalms 116 verse five the psalmist writes the Lord is gracious and righteous and God is full of compassion so God has always been gracious God has always been the same throughout the ages you know we just because we're living under under um, this different time frame where the law law isn't applicable for it is applicable for us but it's not the, the means were gr- to fulfill the law. Christ fulfilled the law by coming. Christ fulfilled that law, and so, what what is this what is this new faith, and how does it justify us? Let's take a look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 7, 7 through 9. And it says, in order that the coming, a- coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one, no man, no one can boast know, nope. it was solely by grace through faith in Christ Jesus that we received justification. That's the only way. Let's turn again, Romans 3, Romans 3, um, verse 19, starting in verse 19. Romans 3, verse 19 through 23. And he says this, Now we know whatever the law says, It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to you, which has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through the faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference. He's telling it doesn't matter who you are, there is no difference. It's to all. To all who believe. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Again, he's telling them, all of us have sinned. That has been all of us. And so you know, and looking at that, does that mean that the law has no value? That there is no value in the law? That the law is now okay? It's gone. There's no value? No, of course not. It, 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 not at all. He he, ex- he tells us in in chapter five, and same thing in Romans, chapter five. Not at all. In Romans chapter five, um, starting with verse twenty and finishing in chapter six, he says the law was added so that the trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to br- bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then here's the question. So, so what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he says, by no means. We, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You know, just the, the, the law has a, a place and it has a purpose still for us in our life. How, how we live, how we are called to live, the things that we know. It says, it says no, just because grace is there, just because we're still, we're still receive, receiving this unmerited favor, we're still getting something that we don't deserve, is it okay to just keep on sinning? Then he tells us no, of course not. It's that it was, is not the purpose. No, we died to sin. And if we're dead to it, we shouldn't be living in it. We shouldn't be active in it. It should be gone. It should be out of our lives. And so sometimes we, we you know, get that confused as well. You know, ah, you know, I'm going to get it anyways. I kind of said that earlier. Why, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? God's in favor. No, he says no. We, we should not be living in sin. We should not be doing those things. Because we should, as Christians, we should be dead to it, not living in it. And so, um, just to sum up, sum up grace. Let's take a look at Romans chapter ten, Romans chapter ten verses one through thirteen. He says, "Brothers." My heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses described it, describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. By the righteous that is, that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? This is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? This is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It says the word is near near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is writ for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Same thing, same thing happened with Abraham. It was in his heart, and he believed. That's what counted him as righteous. He's saying the same thing, same thing here. If we, if we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus Christ raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, I, 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 I read this. And God's unmerited favor is there for is there for us for the taking. He says, "If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved, and you will you will be you will have this unmerited favor, this grace they call that that um, it, it, it was revealed that he revealed that that this grace that that." surpasses all understanding as, as to why he would take our place. You know, he, Christ came to fulfill the law. And through his death, he fulfills that law. You know, because of his death and his resurrection, that he was raised from, raised from the dead, it is because of that. And so, I, you know, going back to, to um, verse 11, you know, he says, wake up, wake up. Do we really believe that? Are we really, are we really um, thinking that every day on a daily basis, that what he did for us? Because all of us, every day, you should hear that gabble. guilty, guilty. Every, every moment of every day, we're guilty. We're always guilty. But God, God made the provision. He fulfilled the law. By coming and being that sacrifice, that ultimate sacrifice, so that we might have life abundantly, that we might have life far more than what we can even think of. I mean, I, I look at my life and I say, I got a good life. I got a, I got a, I got a great wife, two great kids, and what? No, three great kids. I got three great kids. I got a daughter that's headed off to UC Berkeley. I'm getting kind of sad about that, but. I, I I, you know, I have got it great. Why? Because God wants us to have a great life. He wants us to have life and live it to to its fullest. You know, but sometimes I think, oh, I sit down and I think, woe is me. Well, I got this uh, flat tire in my car. What am I gonna do? What am I got? What What do we do? So am I focusing on that? Is that is that what distracts me on a daily basis from what God is really intended for us to have? You know, God has given to us grace and freely. We, like we said earlier, we, we could come to him at any moment, at any time, not be afraid, not be afraid that I'm going to hurt my fingers when I'm trying to change that tire in the car later on this afternoon when I get home. I, I don't have to be afraid of that. There's nothing in this world that I have to be afraid of because God has, has um, carved the way for me not to be afraid through this death on the cross and through this resurrection and so I just pray that, that hopefully as we continue Romans, that we see this grace that God has given to us, and that we fully engulf ourselves in it, that we truly accept it, that we truly live it out, and we're excited, and that we're we're like Paul, that we, we have that desire that desire to go out and tell and to tell everybody else what God has given to us. You know, all of us in this room, all of us. I, I, it doesn't matter where you're at; you have a, one thing probably a multitude of things to be thankful for, hundreds of things to be thankful for, a place to live. Just We could just go down the list. There's so many things that we could be thankful for. But are we truly, and do we give God that credit? Do we give God that honor? And do we fully engulf ourselves and fully believe that? And as we close a prayer, and I just pray that that would be what we walk out with, is how do I do that? How do I change my attitude? How do I wake up and truly truly believe what God has given to us. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you this morning for your word and for your son, that you sent your son to take that place on the cross for us, Father. We are guilty, Father. Your word says that the wages of sin is death, and all of us have sinned, but yet, through your unmerited favor, God, you took that place. You fulfilled the law. You were the one who stood in for all mankind, God. Father, help us not to forget that. Help us to live that out. Help us to live that purpose. Help us to live what you've called us to be, Father. All of us come from different walks of life. Whatever it is that you've called us to be, God, help us to live that purpose according to your will, Father. And we thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.